0: Chapter Fourteen of Howarths. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Howarths by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Chapter Fourteen. Nearly an accident. It was Rachel French who received her father's guest the following evening. Mr. French had been delayed in his return from town, and was still in his dressing-room. Accordingly, when Howarth was announced, the doors of the drawing-room being flung open revealed to him the figure of his host's daughter alone. The room was long and stately, and after she had risen from her seat, it took Miss French some little time to make her way from one end to the other, Howarth had unconsciously halted after crossing the threshold, and it was not until she was half-way down the room that he bestirred himself to advance to meet her. He did not know why he had paused at first, and his sudden knowledge that he had done so roused him to a momentary savage anger. "'Dang it!' he said to himself. "'Why did I stand there like a fool?' The reason could not be explained briefly. His own house was a far more splendid affair than French's, and among his visitors from London and Manchester there were costumes far more gorgeous than that of Miss French. He was used to the flash of jewels and the gloss of brilliant colours. Miss French wore no ornaments at all, and her dark purple dress was simple and close-clinging. A couple of paces from him she stopped and held out her hand. "'My father will be glad to see you,' she said he was unfortunately detained this evening by business he will be downstairs in a few moments his sense of being at a disadvantage when after she had led him back to the fire they were seated was overwhelming a great heat rushed over him the hush of the room broken only by the light ticking of the clock was misery His eye travelled stealthily from the hem of her dark purple gown to the crowning waves of her fair hair, but he had not a word to utter. It made him feel almost brutal. "'But the day'll come yet,' he protested inwardly, feeling his weakness as he thought it. "'When I'll hold my own. I've done it before, and I'll do it again.' Miss French regarded him with a clear and direct gaze she did not look away from him at all. She was not in the least embarrassed, and though she did not smile, the calmness of her face was quite as perfect in expression. My father told me of his visit to your place, she said. He interested me very much. I should like to see the works, if you admit visitors. I know nothing of such things. Any time you choose to come, he answered, I'll show you round and be glad to do it. It's a pretty big place of the kind. He was glad she had chosen this subject. If she would only go on, it would not be so bad. He would be in his own groove. And she did go on. I've seen very little of Broxton, she proceeded. I spent a few weeks here before going abroad again with my father, and I cannot say I've been very fond of it. I do not like England, and on the continent one hears unpleasant things of English manufacturing towns. I think, smiling a little for the first time, that one always associates them with strikes and squalid people. There is not much danger of strikes here, he replied. I give my chaps fair play and let them know who's master. But they have radical clubs, she said, and talk politics and get angry when they are not sober. I've heard that much already. they don't talk em in my place. He answered dogmatically. he was not quite sure whether it relieved him or not when French entered at this moment and interrupted them. He was more at his ease with French and yet he felt himself at a disadvantage still. he scarcely knew how the night passed. A feverish unrest was upon him. sometimes he hardly heard what his entertainer said, and Mr. French was in one of his most voluble and diffuse moods. He displayed his knowledge of trade and mechanics with gentlemanly ostentation. He talked of trade unions and the master's difficulties. He introduced manufacturers' politics and expatiated on continental weaknesses. He weighed the question of demand and supply and touched on protective tariff. Blast him, said Howarth growing bitter mentally. He thinks I'm up to nought else, and he's right. As her father talked, Miss French joined in, but seldom. She listened and looked on, in a manner of which Howarth was conscious from first to last. The thought made its way into his mind. Finally, that she looked on as if these matters did not touch her at all, and she was only faintly curious about them, Her eyes rested on him with a secret air of watchful interest. He met them more than once as he looked up, and she did not turn them away. He sat through it all, full of vengeful resentment, and was at once wretched and happy, in spite of it and himself. When at her father's request she played and sang, he sat apart moody and yet full of clumsy rapture. He knew nothing of the music, but his passion found a tongue in it nevertheless. If she had played badly, he would have taken the lack of harmony for granted. But as she played well, he experienced a pleasure while he did not comprehend. When it was all over and he found himself out alone in the road in the dark, he was feverish still. I don't seem to have made naught at the first sight, he said. Then he added with dogged exultation, "'but I don't look for smooth sailing. "'I know enough for that. "'I've seen her and been nigh her, "'and that's worth setting down with a chap like me. "'At the end of the week, "'a carriage drove up the gateway of the works, "'and Mr. French and his daughter descended from it. "'Mr. French was in the best of humours. "'He was in his element, "'as he expatiated upon the size and appointments of the place.' He had been expatiating upon them during the whole of the drive. On their being joined by Howarth himself, Miss French decided inwardly that here upon his own domain, he was not so wholly objectionable as she had fancied at first, even that he was deserving of a certain degree of approval, despite the signs of elated excitement. Her quick eye detected at once that he was more at his ease. His big frame did not look out of place. He moved as if he was at home, and upon the whole his rough air of authority, and the promptness with which his commands were obeyed, did not displease her. "'He is master,' she said to herself. She was fond of power, and liked the evidence of it in others. She did not object to the looks of men, who were at work, cast upon her as she went from one department to another. Her beauty had never yet failed to command masculine homage from all ranks. The great black fellows at the furnaces exchanged comments as she passed. They would have paused in their work to look at her if they had dared. The object of their admiration bore it calmly. It neither confounded nor touched her. It did not move her at all. Mr. French commented, examined, and explained with delightful eloquence. We are fortunate in timing our visit so well, he said to his daughter. They are filling an immense order for the most important railroad in the country. On my honour, I would rather be at the head of such a gigantic establishment than sit on the throne of England. But where is this protégé of yours? he said to Howarth at last. I should like above all things to see him. Murdoch, answered Howarth. Oh, we're coming to him after a bit in among the engines. When they reached the engine rooms, Howarth presented him with little ceremony, and explained the purpose of their visit. They wanted to see the engines, and he was the man to make the most of them. Mr. French's interest was awakened readily. The mechanic from Cumberland had been a pretentious ignoramus. The young man from Manchester had dropped his aspirates. And worn loud plaids and flaming neckties, but this was a less objectionable form of genius. Mr. French began to ask questions and make himself agreeable, and in a short time was very well entertained indeed. Miss French listened with but slight demonstrations of interest. She did not understand the conversation which was being carried on between her father and Murdoch, and she made no pretence of doing so. "'It is all very clear to them,' she said to Howarth, as they stood next to each other. "'It's all clear enough to him,' said Howarth, signifying Murdoch with a gesture, upon which Miss French smiled a little. She was not sensitive upon the subject of her father's hobbies, and the coarse frankness of the remark amused her. But notwithstanding her lack of interest, she drew nearer to the engine finally, and stood looking at it feeling at once fascinated and unpleasantly overpowered by its heavy invariable motion it was as she stood in this way a little later that murdoch's glance fell upon her the next instant with the simultaneous cry of terror which broke from the others he had thrown himself forward and dragged her back by main force and among the thunderous wheels and rods and shafts there was slowly twisted and torn and ground into shreds, a fragment of the delicate fabric of her dress. It was scarcely the work of a second. Her father staggered toward them, white and trembling. "'Good God!' he cried. "'Good God! What!' The words died upon his bloodless lips. She freed herself from Murdoch's grasp and stood upright. She did not look at him at all. She looked at her father and lightly brushed with her hand her sleeve at the wrist. Despite her pallor, it was difficult to realise that she only held herself erect by a terrible effort of self-control. Why, she said, why did he touch me, in that manner? Howarth uttered a smothered oath. Murdoch turned about and strode out of the room. He did not care to remain to hear the explanation. As he went out into the open air, a fellow workman passing by, stopped to stare at him. "'What's up with thee?' he asked. "'Has there been puns in our thaw again?' The incident referred to being always remembered as a savoury and delectable piece of humour. Murdoch turned to him with a dazed look. "'I,' he stammered, "'we have very nearly had an accident,' and went on his way without further explanation." End of chapter 14.